I remember the feeling when I was sitting in front of that bus driving through Manhattan. I felt amazing. I had come a long way and I remembered the song New York, New York by Frank Sinatra. If you can make it there, you can make it everywhere. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. After my one-woman show in Florida for nearly three months, non-stop doing tours back-to-back, it was time for me to join the big tours that Kuoni had to offer. We had a head office in New York City, which was the center of all operations, and most tours, except the ones in Florida and the ones out west, they started from New York, all reservations were made there, and the team consisted of three, four, sometimes even five people under the management of the wonderful Carmen Flaminio, who had been a guest in one of my previous podcast episodes. I had been assigned a tour called Southern Fantasy. And as soon as my guests from my last Florida trip had boarded a plane to Switzerland, I went to the New York gate at Miami airport. At the time, we were working a lot with US Air, and one of their major hubs was Charlotte, where I had to stop over on the way to the big city. Once arrived for my stopover, I found out that my flight to LaGuardia was delayed and that I would arrive very late, too late to meet the person that I have sharing a room with because our offices were at the Omni Park Central on 57th and 7th, and we also had tour guide rooms at the Edison Hotel. As most trips started in New York, it sometimes happened that there were more than 10 tour guides staying in New York at the same time, and we had to share rooms. I had already been nervous enough to meet everybody because Some of these people who were working out of New York, they were known. They had been working for the company for a long time. They were legends. And I felt very insecure as the newbie who didn't know anybody. Bad enough that I arrived in the middle of the night and had to sneak into a room with someone that I had never met before. The next morning I woke up and went downstairs to the office on the second floor and I met everyone. And they were all curious to meet me because we had been speaking on the phone from Florida. They were all charming, wonderful and helpful. And I was never given the impression that I was new or inexperienced. In the Kwoni office in New York, where I met my wonderful friend Bernadette, who was also one of my interview partners in a previous episode. And we have been friends ever since. While being in the office and getting my files for my trip, I also found out about all the tours that were taking place during the days when all our clients were in New York at the same time. We offered excursions, various excursions, a tour of Lower Manhattan, a tour of Upper Manhattan, helicopter flights, boat trips around Manhattan and to Liberty and Ellis Island, They organized theater and musical tickets and so much more. And I had been assigned a dinner tour to watch the sunset over Manhattan from Hoboken, New Jersey, and then take the people to a steak dinner downtown. 
I remember the feeling when I was sitting in front of that bus driving through Manhattan, talking on the microphone. I felt amazing. I had come a long way and I remembered the song New York, New York by Frank Sinatra. If you can make it there, you can make it everywhere. And especially after my newly found confidence in personal development, working on myself and my self-confidence, I knew that me too, I can make it anywhere. I was now playing in the big league and I loved it. After we dropped off our clients at the end of these evening excursions, there were others as well. We usually met at the Irish bar opposite the hotel where we stayed and we all went out till late in the night or rather early in the morning. We were young and free and we were in New York City. One thing that often crosses my mind though when I think back to my tour guiding times in America especially was the amount of cash that I used to carry around with me. Remember that it was the 80s. We didn't have any company credit cards. I'm not even sure if I had a private credit card at the time. We had to pay plenty of entrance fees to all sorts of amusement parks and other parks, many other places, and wherever we went, we paid cash. Plus, I had earned a lot of money in Florida selling extra tours, and I didn't have an opportunity to deposit any of my money. Thinking back now, I should have sent money home to Switzerland with some of my clients, but somehow I hadn't done it. And I ended up walking around Manhattan a little tipsy at four o'clock in the morning with $20,000 in my little Gucci bag. I know I should have put that money in a safe. At least that's what we told our clients to do. But I was always lucky. Nothing has ever been stolen from me except the one time in my home country, in my actual hometown Lucerne, on a main square where I had just finished a city tour and the bus driver from Italy had given me an envelope with my pay and I had put it in my blazer pocket and when I checked the next time it was gone. Someone had been watching and had taken advantage. But otherwise, all over the world, I have always been lucky. I believe, though, that looking confident and being cautious always helps. Thieves look for opportunities and insecure people. They know their prey. But let's go back to Manhattan. So after two or sometimes three days in New York, depending on the tour, each tour guide took off with their group and this time I was going south. My first stop was east though, actually. The first night was on the Jersey Shore. We spent a night in Atlantic City. I had never been there before, but I had been to Las Vegas. So I knew how the whole casino scene worked. Most of our Swiss clients were not so much into gambling. I took them down the iconic boardwalk. We took a walk, stopped for a drink on the beach because Swiss people come from a landlocked country and they always enjoy sitting on the beach, no matter where. And later on, everyone tried a slot machine. Then after that, we all had a lovely dinner together. The next day on this tour was a long day. 
driving down to the nation's capital via Philadelphia. And when I think back, some of those tours were not really so well thought through. Philadelphia deserves so much more than a lunch stop and a few hours of a tour. There is so much history in Philly, starting with the fact that one can send a postcard from the oldest post office in the United States. And then, of course, going to Independence Hall with its famous cracked Liberty Bell. And no one really knows why it's cracked, where the crack comes from. But the Declaration of Independence was drafted in the famous Independence Hall. And it was signed by Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin and John Hancock, just to name a few. Philadelphia was the early capital of the United States after the Constitution was ratified. George Washington was the first president, but there were lots of other important men involved in the beginning of this great nation. One of my favorites is definitely Benjamin Franklin, who was a founding father, but he was also so many other things. I researched, he was a polymath. I don't know what that is. He was an inventor, a scientist, a printer, a politician, a Freemason and a diplomat. And I think if I remember well, he was the first ambassador of the United States in France. Franklin helped to draft the Declaration of Independence and the US Constitution. And he negotiated the 1783 Treaty of Paris ending the Revolutionary War, but he was never president. And that's why he definitely deserves to be on the $100 bill. As I said before, I would have liked to spend more time in Philadelphia, and all I ever got were those four hours on the way from Atlantic City to Washington. I fondly remember the story of Betsy Ross and driving past her house. Do you know who Betsy Ross was? She is credited with sewing the first United States flag, a symbol of patriotism. Ross is often celebrated as the woman who helped George Washington finish the design. And yes, so much more to see in Philadelphia. But unfortunately, that's all we had time for. And a very memorable and maybe even one of the best ever meals in Chinatown which one of the previous tour guides had recommended in the report that I traveled with. In the evening, we arrived in Washington, D.C., and oh, wow, is all I can say. I am someone who likes monuments, landmarks, and after having seen so many of them in the news and in movies, I was finally there, alive, in person. We stayed at the Mayflower Hotel, and even though we arrived late and it was dark and raining, I borrowed an umbrella from the hotel and walked down to the White House. I was too curious to wait until the next morning, and a little walking after all the sitting on the bus was always good, and I realized right away that I loved the Washington DC vibe. The next morning, the sun was out and we were taken around town by a lovely German lady who had lived in D.C. for many years. Because when we 
came to a big city for the first time on our tours, we had a budget for a local guide. But then we had to learn, take notes and do it ourselves the next time. I don't remember how many times I did a city tour of Washington, but I think I could still remember most of it. Washington was created with land given by Virginia and Maryland. President George Washington chose the exact site along the Potomac and Anacostia rivers, and the city was officially founded in 1790 after both Maryland and Virginia ceded land to this new district to be distinct and distinguished from the rest of the states. And do you know why the White House is called the White House? Well, I was told that it was painted white to cover the scorch marks left by British soldiers who burned the house in 1814. Well, that's what I told all the people who had traveled with me. Now, when I was doing research for this podcast episode, I found out that this is a myth. So apologies to all the people who I told this story to, but then again, who cares? My favorite monument in D.C. is the Lincoln Memorial. I think Abraham Lincoln was an amazing man and a great leader who led the Union through the American Civil War. He is frequently cited as one of the top presidents in U.S. history. I never had a client who didn't like Washington. We had a wonderful time in this amazing city. And I also enjoyed the many good restaurants, especially in Georgetown. Much later, I took my kids to Washington and visited all the museum, which we didn't normally have time for when we were there for a short stay. And I still feel that there is so much more that I haven't seen. There's still so much to see. Ah, and now I remember another fun fact that I learned in Washington. The term lobbying first appeared in print in 1820, describing members of the Senate lobbying members of the House of Representatives to take up a piece of legislation they passed. A famous story claims that the term lobbying originated at the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C. The story dates back to the presidency of Ulysses Grant, because obviously the word lobbying comes from negotiating in a lobby. And that was in the hotel lobby of the Williard. And when we went to DC with my kids, we stayed there and I pictured the lobbying in the hotel lobby. I also organized an excursion to Mount Vernon and to the home of George and Martha Washington. He had created four gardens on the estate, including the lower garden which was a kitchen garden for growing fruit and vegetables year-round. They never had to buy any fruit and vegetable because it was well thought through. It's a very, very beautiful estate with a beautiful view. And if you are in Washington and have a little extra time, I highly recommend you go and visit. But let's move on on our tour. After all the history in Washington, we added a little bit more because... Further south, there is a place called Colonial Williamsburg, which is the largest outdoor educational living museum in the United States. 
It's like going back in time and walking through history. The place is so well made that one forgets the real world for a while. This is an absolute must for history lovers. And even for those who are not that interested, it's a joy to visit. It's a huge place and I gave my people time to wander around. But I also told them that it's important to be back at our meeting point on time because we had a flight to catch out of Norfolk to New Orleans. Our Swiss clients were mostly on time and when they were late, it was usually for a valid reason. People from the Swiss-German part were very punctual, whereas the Swiss-French often took it a little easier. And I used to remind them once in a while how important it is, because they were wasting the time of the people who were punctual. I even had a complaint once that I behaved like an army general and I had annoyed them with my punctuality demands and obsession. Of course, that came from a Swiss-French person. However, this time in colonial Williamsburg, I started worrying and sweating because two of my people were missing and we were really, really had to go. And how are you going to find someone in this huge place? Just when I was getting a little desperate or really desperate, they turned up. They had gotten involved in a live history show. You know, they were playing all these shows and asked people to participate. And then they were too shy to say that they had to leave. We made it to Norfolk Airport on time. In those days, flying internally in the US was so easy. It was so different. There was hardly any screening. Loved ones could accompany you to the gate and wait for you there when you arrived. There was no taking off shoes or checking for liquids. As a matter of fact, I remember one time that we arrived at the airport a little early to take the Trump shuttle, which was supposed to leave at 12 at midday, but we were there at 10.30 already, and our luggage was loaded directly from the tour bus to the plane, and we just walked through the airport to the gate and caught the 11 o'clock flight. Unimaginable in today's world. Everything changed after 9-11. So we had arrived at another highlight of this tour. We had arrived in the Big Easy, one of the most beautiful towns in one of the most beautiful states of the US. New Orleans in Louisiana, perched on the Mississippi River and Lake Pontchartrain. Why is it called the Big Easy? I quote, Reader's Digest's writer Juliana LaBianca writes, While New Yorkers were perpetually running around the Big Apple, laid-back life in New Orleans reigned, hence, the Big Easy. There is something about the South. Just like in Europe, people take life at a slightly slower pace and seem more friendly. Of course, these are all generalizations. There are friendly people everywhere. And most of the time, it's the hot climate that slows people down. There was a lot to do in New Orleans and lots of stories to hear about voodoo, 
which has been popularized and commercialized in the past century. But still, voodoo roots in New Orleans, and they are deep. And voodoo priests and priestesses still practice the religion the way it came to the city from Africa and from the islands. New Orleans was the point of entry for many slaves in the 18th and 19th century. While traditionally black and white were segregated, musicians were better than most at seeing past such policies. They were more clever. They say that Chas was born in New Orleans and it grew up there. There was no segregation among musicians and it brought humans together. So many famous jazz musicians originated in New Orleans. The most famous of them, of course, was Louis Armstrong. The best jazz clubs were, and I believe still are, in the French Quarter, some on the famous Bourbon Street. Jackson Square is the heart of New Orleans, and I wonder if the famous coffee shop Café Olé is still there. I must go back and see and of course, then there is the area of New Orleans, the Mississippi bayous, the bayou areas, the arms of the Mississippi. We used to take a boat tour that winds through the mossy cypress swamps, close to the Jean Lafitte National Historical Park and Preserve, named for the 19th century pirate and smuggler. It was the same airboats, like the ones in the Everglades, and similar wildlife as well, and of course lots of alligators. Sometimes I organized a dinner on one of the famous steamboats, the paddle wheelers. Steam power changed the world in the 19th century. The south of the US got rich on the exports of cotton and sugar, which were carried by these beautiful boats. But later, when goods were transported by rail, these boats turned into restaurants and jazz clubs where the famous New Orleans jazz music was introduced to the world. People loved those extra tours. They were often not included in the normal program. But the more I visited a place, the more I knew and the more I could offer to my clients. And they all appreciated everything that we did for them, even more. This trip didn't end in New Orleans. It continued to Orlando for three days, but I have already talked about Orlando in a previous episode. So let's finish here and leave more stories for the next time. There is so much more to talk about. Stay with me. If you are enjoying my podcast, please follow and share. Tell your friends and family and the whole world about it. You can find all the information in the show notes. If you like what you hear and you want to know more about what I do, check out my website www.thesoulkit.com.